Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our most courageous lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation on a plant-based, fruit-centric lifestyle with Robbie Barbaro, the co-founder and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Mastering Diabetes. Robbie has been living with type 1 diabetes for 15 years and for 10 years has transformed his illness and gained control of his overall health on a low-fat, fruit-based diet. Mastering Diabetes is a revolutionary method to reverse insulin resistance permanently in type 1, type one and a half, type two, prediabetes, and gestational diabetes. On this episode, we have a detailed conversation on Robbie's journey from diagnosis to where he is today. We discuss his diet evolution and have a fascinating conversation about a fruit-forward diet that we can learn from regardless of if you are a diabetic or you choose to live a plant-based lifestyle. Just a disclaimer that we are not doctors and to please consult a physician if you plan to change any part of your diet, especially if you have an illness. At Courageous Wellness, we love to learn from experts with all different opinions, backgrounds, and perspectives and empower ourselves with knowledge to make informed choices that are best for us. We are grateful to Robbie for sharing his journey and can't wait to hear your thoughts. Get in touch on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or through our website, www.courageouswellness.net. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by Ned. Ned produces the highest quality full spectrum CBD from organic hemp plants sourced entirely from an independent farm in Colorado. Erica and I discovered Ned when co-founder Adrian Zimmerman was a guest on our show. We were both really impressed with the products after trying them. One of the things that really stood out to both of us was the transparency of the brand. Ned actually shares third-party lab results, who their farmers are, and details of the extraction process directly with their consumers. We strive to be informed consumers, and Ned makes the process really accessible. I have become a dedicated user of Ned products and have been able to replace my monthly use of ibuprofen to manage period discomfort with Ned's Natural Cycles collection of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons. This collection is slow crafted with love from an extraordinary group of women and provides a more holistic anti-inflammatory and natural pain relief option. So Erica, what's your favorite? My favorite Ned product is definitely their full spectrum hemp oil, and I personally use the 750 milligram tincture. When I consistently take it, I notice a huge difference in my anxiety, sleep, and general mood. 
In addition to the tincture, I also really love applying the hemp-infused body butter to my neck and shoulders before bed. It helps me relax, soothes aches and pains, and allows me to wind down at the end of the day. Ned is also now offering an immunity blend tincture that we are consistently taking. This blend naturally supports our immune system and combines botanicals, herbs, and fungi to offer functional immune support. 100% of profits are also donated to EcoHealth Alliance to support their fight against pandemics and promotion of conservation. If you want to check out Ned and try their products and their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com slash podcast. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know you're going to love it. You can also find the direct link in our show notes and check out all of their wellness products. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Thanks for joining us today, Ravi. I'm super happy to be here. Um, we're excited to hear a little bit about your story and, and learn about your book and the current work that you're doing. To start off, can you just tell us and our listeners a little bit about your personal journey um, and sort of how it's brought you to the work that you currently do today? Can we also just celebrate that Eric and I, uh, we, we both work out of base camp and then yes. all on this podcast <laughs> together. This is Such very exciting. A small, small world. Los Angeles world. <laughs> Great. Okay. So... I was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes when I was 12, just about to turn 13. So that's uh, 20 years ago now. And I basically self-diagnosed myself. My older brother, I have two older brothers, the middle one was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes eight years prior to me. So I was very familiar with the symptoms, with the the disease in general. I was going to the bathroom all the time. I was thirsty all the time. I said, mom, I think I have diabetes just like Steve. And she said, no, no, don't be silly. You don't have diabetes. I said, okay. And then not that much later, she and and my dad flew to Florida. We were living in Minnesota at the time. And they were looking at homes. And she called to check in. Say, how are things going? I said, mom, I couldn't sleep last night. I was cramping the whole time. She said, okay, go upstairs. Use your brother's blood glucose meter and test yourself. And I did. I was well over 400. You're supposed to be somewhere between 70 and 130. Wow. My brother said right then and there, you have type 1 diabetes, pack your bag. You're going to be in the hospital for a few nights. So I was like, okay. We go to the general doctor. They give the official diagnosis there. I see my brother in the room. He started crying the first time I ever saw him crying. He's like, oh, I'm just so sorry. I'm going to deal with this. 
And then my parents flew home the next night. And I remember my dad saying, look, this is just an inconvenience. You can still do whatever you want in life. Just you have to do is manage it. And that was a mentality I had growing up. It really wasn't that big of a deal. It was just, Hey, this is what you have to do. You take care of it and everything's okay. We had the best medical care we possibly could. My parents thought that was important. So they took my brother and, and myself to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I had an endocrinologist, I had a dietitian, I had a uh, psychologist, all these people trying to take care of us. But in hindsight, what a missed opportunity to really give me some good information, talk to me about insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity, what I can do to improve my health now and into the long term. So I'm following the standard American diet and I end up developing standard American health issues. I have chronic allergies using Nasonex, Claritin D, still getting sick every year. I developed plantar fasciitis, which was really uncomfortable as a competitive tennis player to have pain in the arches of my feet. And I wore these big blue boots at night to do passive stretching, which was funny and uncomfortable. I had warts on my feet. And the worst thing was the cystic acne that I had during high school. So I was taking pills. I was doing creams. I would go to the office and do laser treatments, microdermal braiding treatments, everything. Eventually they put me on Accutane, which is the most serious drug you can take for acne. Your parents sign a waiver because some people committed suicide on that drug. So just an unfortunate state of affairs. But at that point you're in high school, you have cystic acne, you're trying to do whatever you can to, to resolve the situation. And those were frustrating over time. I wanted to improve my health. So I started learning here and there, but the real thing that truly changed my life was a book that fell off the shelf for me at Barnes and Noble in high school. So I was going to Barnes and Noble to get some spark notes as you do in high school. And this book called Kevin Trudeau's natural cures. They don't want you to know about. Have you two heard about this book? No. Okay. This guy was super popular. He was on infomercials everywhere, selling millions of copies of books. He's like, the purple cover is the cover. You know, a lot of your listeners, even though they have a young audience, I swear, this guy was everywhere. They will have heard of him. Um, and just this handsome dude, just like selling copies left, right, and center. And he eventually goes to jail for some fraudulent claims and stuff like that. So I'm not recommending the book. <laughs> but it planted a seed in my mind that, you know what, maybe it's possible to reverse type 1 diabetes. So type 1, this is the type of diabetes where your pancreas has been damaged. My pancreas does not produce insulin anymore. The beta cells that are responsible for producing insulin have been damaged. Type 2 diabetes, that's a type where you're producing excess insulin. And I'm sure we'll get into that later, how you can actually reverse that. And we'll talk about insulin resistance. But type 1 diabetes, to this day, is not known to be reversible. Like, it's not reversible. I'm not saying it is. Nobody's saying it is. There's no repeated way to reverse um, type 1 diabetes. So I'm like, you know what? Anything is possible. And Roger Bannister was told that you cannot run a four-minute mile. Smartest people in the world said that's not physically possible. Your heart's going to explode. So right now, the smartest people in the world, we all say we can't reverse type 1 diabetes. That doesn't mean we're not going to solve this at some point. It doesn't mean we're not going to figure it out. Somebody's going to be the first person to do it. There's going to be one person who's the first person who naturally gets their beta cells to work again. Why not me? So that was the beginning 
of me just doing anything and everything I could possibly do to put my body in a state of self-healing. Like that's the mindset. Like every day we all have cells that are dying. It just happens. Cells die, stem cells regenerate them, and you have new cells. Why is it so complicated for me to create some new beta cells? That was the vision, okay? In hindsight, it's a little bit complicated. I still think we're going to figure it out, but it's complicated. Um, there's antibodies present. How to stop them from doing the damage that they do is nobody's solved that one yet. So even if I could create new beta cells, they might just be damaged by the antibodies. That's possible. There's a lot to figure out. But the point is, over the years, I start trying a lot of different diets. So I'm in high school at this point. I start trying the Weston A. Price Foundation diet. This is where you're eating a lot of grass-fed beef. Uh, they actually taught people to eat raw milk or drink raw milk. And you can't sell raw milk to humans. So I would go to the farmer's market and buy milk for cats because you, you could sell for cats. <laughs> so I, I, was following, I was following the guidelines. I was doing what I had to do. Um, and when I did that, I felt a little better. I got rid of some junk food. But nothing really happened as far as my diabetes health which is that what I was trying, that's what I was trying to address here. So I move on, I go back to a naturopath. She had me doing some electrodermal screening tests and I go there and I get like a 15 page printout. Eat this, don't eat this, eat this, don't eat this. Like pork is okay, beef is bad. Like millet bread's okay, oat bread's not okay. It's just like this long list of what you can eat. So I would follow that pretty diligently in high school and I took all kinds of supplements. And again, nothing really major happened. Then while I was a freshman in college at the University of Florida, I came across a, a forum, all right? And I was, it was like a website for high-end green living. They're selling like bamboo tables and I don't know, like bamboo forks and just stuff like that. And I was on the forum and they were talking about eating basically raw food. It was like a gourmet raw food. Because, you know, they're with their gourmet bamboo tables. You know, you get it. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, right? So I was educating them that you guys should be consuming raw milk. Like, you know what you're missing out on? I was trying to explain to them all these things that I learned. And they were, they were all friendly and nice. And somebody was like, hey, you should, like, check out this movie called Earthlings. And Earthlings is, is an animal rights movie where they're showing, it's just showing objective information. Oh, this is just video footage of how are animals treated how do they get to your plate? How are animals treated in the world of pets? How are they treated in the world of entertainment? How are they treated in clothing? And so I'm a freshman at the University of Florida. I consider myself pretty smart. I was top of my class to get into that college. It was not easy. And this movie just blew me away. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't know this. I thought I was smart. Like, how did I not fully understand how the food got to my plate? Like, what the heck? And so what that did is that opened up my mind. I went back to the forum. I said, okay. What books do you guys want me to read? Because I'm all into nutrition. Like, that's what I care about. I'm trying to reverse type 1 diabetes. I just care about nutrition. So that opens me up to start reading a bunch of nutrition books. And I end up coming across Gabriel Cousins. And he has a program. He's like got the Tree of Life Center. He has a movie, like Raw for 30 Days. And one of the guys in the movie, his name is Kurt Tyson. And he actually is claimed to have reversed type 1 diabetes. But there's some nuances there that aren't really accurate. But the point is, I, start, I talk to Kurt Tyson. I have a great conversation with him. And I'm, I'm now on this path of following a plant-based ketogenic diet. It wasn't called that at the time because keto wasn't popular. 
but that's exactly what it was. It, it was no more than 30 grams of carbohydrate per day. All my calories are coming from fat, coming from oil, coming from nuts and seeds. Um, very small amount of, of vegetables. Like I can eat celery. I can eat small amount of bell peppers. But fruit is out. When you're on phase one, you don't have any fruit. So this phase one program. And so looking back, that experience is, is quite valuable now in this day and age where, where everybody's talking about keto. And a person living with type one diabetes, I have a lot of data. And so the difference then is I got to try that. And eventually, I don't have any energy. That's the biggest problem. So I'm a freshman at the University of Florida, and I basically black out on campus several times. And I'm just like, I'm scared at this point. It's like, I am trying so hard. All my friends are just going to the, the food lab and just eating whatever the heck they want, the cafeteria. And I'm over here just like losing weight and just struggling. <laughs> my results are not getting to where I want to be. So I go back to the natural path. And she's like, okay, you know what? Maybe you need to do chelation therapy. Maybe that's what you should do next. I'm thinking about it. It was going to be expensive. I have to drive all the way to Tampa to get it done. But before I committed to chelation therapy, I heard a podcast. And it changed. And it's so funny to be saying that on a podcast, how much I love podcasts. Like maybe this will change one person's life, like forever, like forever. This one podcast changed my life, okay? And it was just this guy, Doug Graham, talking about how you can eat fruits and vegetables and that is effective at cleansing your body of heavy metals. Like these healthy, natural foods can do it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've been avoiding fruits and all this stuff for a long time. I'd love to eat some fruits. If this is a better way for me to start cleansing of the toxins that could be problematic in my, my underlying health condition, I'm going to go for it. So I start eating. This, this is where it gets real good, guys. Ladies. <laughs> um, I start working with this guy, Doug Graham. And... <laughs> These longer form podcasts are fun because you can kind of go into more of these details. Um, he, the first week ate nothing but bananas. I'm not necessarily recommending this, guys. This is not like part of the, the program in the Mastering Diabetes Method. This is just the story of what actually happened. The first week, I ate nothing but bananas for seven days. That's it. And this is around, this is Christmas of 2006. My grandmother's visiting. I come down for Christmas dinner with literally a pyramid of peeled bananas on my plate. We're talking like five bananas on the bottom and then four and then three and then two, like just a true pyramid of peeled bananas. My family is just shaking their head being like, what is, this, oh this, this is unbelievable. They'd seen me go through so many different diet phases. They thought that's just another phase, it's another phase. And now we're like 14 years later and it's not a phase. I, I still eat massive amounts of bananas. but. <laughs> That was the beginning of me learning that, wait a minute, I can eat all these carbohydrate-rich foods and my insulin requirements remained mind-bogglingly low. Wow. Like you should not be eating this much fruit and only requiring this much insulin. Mm -hmm. So to give you some context, people, anybody who's following a, a animal-based ketogenic diet, there's published research on that type of diet where people living with type 1 diabetes are eating 30 grams of carbohydrate per day mm -hmm. and injecting 30 units of total insulin. So that's a one-to-one -one ratio. I eat well over 700 grams of carbohydrate per day and inject a total of 27 units of insulin. Wow. So wow. That's, the, that's the, the magnitude of what we're talking about when it comes to insulin sensitivity. So mm. at this point, I'm still at the University of Florida. I have access to all the peer-reviewed journals, anything they don't have at the school, I get through interlibrary loan. 
And I started looking into this stuff. This information has been documented in peer-reviewed literature dating back to the 1920s, mm. showcasing how a low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet of whole foods maximizes insulin sensitivity, period, end of story. Now, why this is so important? There's two reasons why it's so important. Number one, in America, we have over 110 million people living with diabetes. Over 80 million of them are living with pre-diabetes and don't even know it. Mm -hmm. Then you have roughly 30 million who have diagnosed diabetes, okay? And about majority of them are living with type two. Two, yeah. Okay, so you cannot have pre-diabetes or type two diabetes without being insulin resistant. It's a Wait. prerequisite. Yeah. So what I'm experiencing in my own body as a, as a person living with type one, injecting insulin, eating food, I'm experiencing every meal, every day, true insulin sensitivity. I'm, I'm eating, living, breathing the exact solution for roughly 110 million other people, where if they applied these same principles, they would no longer have diabetes at all. Quick question for you. Are you also at this point in your journey, are you still taking insulin? I still take insulin right now. As a matter okay. of fact, I'm about to eject the unit while we're on this call. <laughs> but <laughs> you're saying you're saying the amount that you need to process that amount of carbohydrates of whole. Let's just also reiterate whole food, um, fruits and vegetables. Yeah, is less than thirty. So, know. okay, you asked this a very important question. I'm glad you're asking me to clarify this. For a person living with type 1 diabetes or type 1.5 or insulin-dependent type 2, which we can get into, the goal is to inject a physiologically normal amount of insulin that your pancreas would have secreted before it was damaged. Okay. That's what we're trying to do here. So a physiological normal amount of insulin, like roughly your, you two, your pancreas secretes roughly 25 to 50 units of insulin per day. That's what a normal healthy human is going to secrete. My pancreas is literally damaged and produces none. So I get a test to confirm that. It's called a C-peptide test. My insulin production is undetectable, less than 0.1. So mm -hmm. if you're living with type 1.5, which that's where you basically have a slow onset of type 1, meaning your pancreas has been kind of damaged, but not completely damaged. You're still producing yeah. food, we just need to compensate. Yeah. And just to ask one more question as you continue. So with type 1 or 1.5, are you born with it or how does your pancreas get damaged? Because type two, I think so many people are familiar, right? Where it, it is more of a lifestyle um, disease, but type one or 1.5, how do you get that? This is part of the mystery. I wish I had the answer to that question. We just don't know. Yeah. We have theories, but nobody really knows. So, and it, it, what's crazy is it's happening at much older ages. It mm -hmm. used to be called juvenile onset right. diabetes, and then type two is adult onset diabetes. And then radical things have happened on both fronts. Number one, type ones are getting diagnosed 40, 50, 60. We have a type one 60 years old in our coaching program. Yeah, and, and kids are getting type two. Exactly, on the flip yeah. side, we have young children, yeah. overweight, obese, living with type two diabetes. So now th th those terms are gone. It's just type one and type two. So interesting. So, so 
So now on your journey, as you're walking us through this, you found your solution then, and this is what you've now stuck with and continued your, basically your life journey through this whole food, plant-based fruit and vegetable diet. That's exactly right. Um, nothing has really changed in, in 14 years now of doing this because I just love it. It, it works so well. Um, I mean, the nutrient density of the Mastering Diabetes Method, the, the protocol we've put together, is just as high as it gets. And you reach a point where basically, you know, your diet is, is, is clean and simple and there's really nowhere else to go unless I was going to become like a breatharian or something, you know? So I'm curious, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I was reading this portion of the book. I'm looking for it as it's, as we're talking. Um, hold on, I'm going to find it. But but basically, I would love to get into a little bit about people living with type 2 diabetes because it's a little bit, we hear a little bit of a different narrative as far as nutrition and diet goes. And, and um, in this section of the book, you go into that like, you look at insulin resistance as a symptom, not the cause. Of, yes. So yes. I'm, I'm just curious because like, there are so many people, like really respected people um, in the nutrition and wellness space who talk about really like keeping blood sugar, glucose levels down, especially if you're, if you're living with type 2 diabetes. And I'm just curious if you could talk to how, is it, is it the whole, like I have theories about like the fact that if you're eating a whole food, primarily whole food diet, like a lot of the issues that can affect so many health ailments will go away. Right. Yeah. So if you're removing complex carbohydrates, fruit's not going to bother you, right? Because you have fiber, you have the full, the full plant that you're consuming. Yeah. Um, but there is, you know, there is a lot of thoughts and, and a lot of buzz out there about like, Hey, if you're type two diabetic, maybe like, like limit your fruit consumption because it still turns to sugar in your bloodstream. So can you talk a little bit to that sort of mentality? Yeah. And just to add on to that, Ali, I think of course for if you're type two diabetic, but I think everyone listening probably has heard, I think some people are even afraid of fruit to be completely honest because fruit can make you gain weight. Fruit has sugar. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people afraid of fruit in general, hopefully not our listeners, <laughs> but, but maybe our, you know, but, um, but I do think, right, because keto is so buzzy and because, um, yeah, you just, fruit doesn't always get like the best reputation in the wellness world in general, regardless of if you're diabetic or not. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, uh, there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Allie, I want to say, um, your, your theories about a whole food plant-based diet helping with a lot of ailments, they're not theories. That is they're proven scientifically. That's yes. What, that's what this book is. This book yeah. has 800 citations. This is not our, something we made up. It's not a theory. It's not just our story. Our story just happens to match 100 years of evidence-based research. And then obviously we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of clients who have seen success as well. So let's start at the top here. You mentioned the whole thing about like the symptom versus the cause. Yeah. So high blood glucose values are a symptom of insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is the disease. And this is something I really want to drive home for your audience here because insulin resistance is like a spectrum. 
Okay, it's not like on or off, right? Right. And so insulin resistance is important because a plethora of research has clearly linked insulin resistance to heart disease, kidney disease, fatty liver disease, retinopathy, neuropathy, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, PCOS, Alzheimer's disease, weight gain, and the list can go on and on and on. Yeah. So anybody listening to this show who objectively is struggling with weight gain or trying to lose weight, insulin resistance is an issue. It's, it's, it's part of the game. I, no question. Okay. So if that's you, everything I'm saying here about what you can do to maximize your insulin sensitivity is relevant. PCOS, same situation here. It's not necessarily the cause, but it's a huge issue. A factor. In, in, in PCOS, okay? Um, same thing when it comes to energy. Energy is not really like something I can objectively put, talk about in a study, but subjectively, right. um, people see a marked improvement in their energy when they improve their insulin sensitivity, okay? So what's happening here, we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, what causes insulin resistance? And that's what we cover in mad detail in the beginning part of this book. And then we move into the how-to section. And so there's a lot of science. But in short, the cause of insulin resistance is a diet that is high in fat. And that fat is then stored in muscle and liver cells where it does not belong. Fat is supposed to be stored in adipose tissue. That's where it belongs. And very small amounts in muscle and liver cells. When you eat particularly too much saturated fat, that accumulates in muscle and liver cells and inhibits insulin from doing its job. Insulin is a hormone that allows glucose to come out of your bloodstream into your cells so your cells can have energy. A simple way to think about this is insulin is a key that unlocks the door, the door opens, glucose goes from your bloodstream into your cells. If that key if the, if the block is jammed, okay, you put a bunch of gum in there, put a bunch of glue in there, put a bunch of uh, bacon in there, it's not going to work, okay? It doesn't work. So what your body does is produces more and more insulin to overpower this. And in the beginning, your body can handle it. Like, you can get away with it. Your, your A1C is fine. Your blood glucose management is fine. Like, there's not really that many problems. But over time, this process of excess insulin, it becomes problematic. It's not enough. And now pathological insulin resistance is characterized by high blood glucose levels and high insulin levels. And this is that huge conversation you're having in the wellness world of, you know, very smart, intelligent people. They're not talking, they, they don't talk about blood glucose. They talk about insulin spiking my insulin levels okay like and this concern is legitimate and it's real yeah and it goes back to this just gigantic amount of literature about insulin resistance all right and when you if you have excess insulin that's insulin resistance okay so now the thing we have to ask ourselves is like how much research is there demonstrating that if i lower the fat intake insulin will work more efficiently? And the answer is, it's absurd how much there is. Okay, like we couldn't even cover it all in this book. We had to pick and choose which studies to keep in because it's just too much. 
And there's a couple examples I want to give. And, and I want to just share just a few studies, but then remind people that like, there's nothing to the contrary. Okay. So, so when it comes to people saying, you know, fruit is bad or something like that, like literally ask that person to produce one study. So be like, Can you show me one study where whole fruit was consumed and then the results were higher insulin levels or it showed to me, like, I want to see it because what they're doing is they're, they're taking, um, isolated fructose or isolated sugar yeah. and, and saying, Oh yeah, well that didn't do perform well in an X, Y, and Z study and comparing that to eating a whole fruit, an apple, which has water, fiber, fiber, yeah, minerals, all that stuff. Okay. And they're also not considering that the context of what's, what other foods are eaten in combination of those foods. So when you're talking about the master diabetes method, when you're talking about this approach, we, this is truly, truly is the gold standard. I mean, that's why this book is new. It's why it's, we're lucky it's done so well and hit the bestseller list and all that stuff is it truly is the, it addresses insulin resistance in every single possible way you can, whether that's intermittent fasting, exercise, but then nutritionally, we're addressing it as far as inflammation, as far as advanced glycation end products, heme iron, excess sodium, saturated fat. Like we're just doing everything, throwing everything at the wall here. What does it take to improve insulin sensitivity? And that's how we get such dramatic results. So it's super easy, but super effective. So one study I like to highlight here is 1971, New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Brunzel, all right? He takes a group of people, he feeds them a standard American 40% of calories from fat diet, and then he also feeds them a sugar water diet, okay? Dextrose and protein powder, 85% of calories coming from simple sugar, 50% of calories coming from protein powder, zero fat. Now, you can only design a zero-fat diet if you have a refined diet because all whole foods contain fat. There's fat in your lettuce. There's fat in bananas. There's fat in kiwis. There's fat in beans. There's fat in potatoes. There's fat in all whole foods. So he takes this refined diet, and he does a oral glucose tolerance test, a paired oral glucose tolerance test. The subjects drink 75 grams of glucose, and then their blood glucose and their insulin levels are tested every 30 minutes for three hours. You would think that a sugar water diet would result in an increase in insulin levels and an increase in blood glucose levels during an oral glucose tolerance test. Every single point, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 120 minutes, every single point, insulin levels were lower and blood glucose levels were lower. And this is just one of, I can go to an army of studies, literally showing that even, even if it's a processed food, I'm not recommending you eat processed food. I'm just citing the literature that shows even on this far end of the spectrum of feeding people processed food in a low fat environment results in improved insulin sensitivity and not, nothing to the contrary. That's pretty fascinating. What do you, I mean, what are your thoughts then on people who are having um, positive results with, I'm going to say like a quote unquote healthy version of a ketogenic diet then? I love this question. So okay, great. chapter seven of the book, okay, we put in a lot of research and a lot of time into this one because it truly is the elephant in the room. It's the real conversation. If you are in the world of wellness 
and you're trying to address insulin resistance or high insulin levels or weight loss or diabetes or anything, there's two conversations. There's, there's keto and then there's like the low fat group. You know, mm-hmm. you have like Forks Over Knives movies and all that right. stuff. I'm actually at the Forks Over Knives office right now. I happen to work there for six uh. a lot of fun. That's why that came out of my mind. But like you have these two big movements and best-selling books and authors and all that stuff on both right. sides. Here's the thing, and diabetes is a very fun one. Because I, I had this fun experience in the fact that I got to live a plant-based keto diet before it was even a thing. Um, here's what's happening. And this is what makes diabetes really fun because diabetes is one of the few, maybe the only chronic disease that you can self-monitor on a meal-by-meal basis. You get to prick yourself, test your blood glucose. No, oh, wait, did that meal make my blood glucose go up or down? You don't know if your heart disease got better or worse meal by meal. You don't know if your kidney disease got better or worse meal by meal. But diabetes, sure. So self-monitor instant values. People will eat, they'll learn about us, they'll learn about forks over knives, they'll eat a, a banana, some blueberries, a potato, and they'll test themselves and they'll be like, my blood glucose skyrocketed. It's 200. How, how, you guys are jokers. Why are you telling me that this is, I just ate this food. It caused my blood goes to spike. How are you telling me that this is going to be the solution? And what they don't understand, it, it's, it's the food they ate prior. Okay, that's the problem. Mm. So, you're like, okay, wait a minute. I do the ketogenic diet. I just eat no carbs. None, I just take them out. And my blood glucose is low. My fasting insulin level is low. My, I just don't need my diabetes medication anymore. Like all these, I've, I've lost 50 pounds, 100 pounds. All that stuff is great. Like I, I, I love people who do keto giants. I got so much respect for them. Anybody who's going to take the effort and the time to clean up your diet and stop eating the junk and really be conscious and aware of everything you're putting in your body, like that's amazing. We have more in common than we don't have in common. Right. And I think I'm just going to jump in for a yeah. second. I think that's a really important, I think what you just hit the nail, you just hit the nail on the head, which is all these sort of schools of thought and even like ev- and not even schools of thought, but like evidence-based research that like any sort of camp in this world can sort of support their science behind it. But the thing is, what you just said is that you have more in common than you don't. I think that's the thing. It's like you're speaking today. What it really highlights is the damage a standard American diet can have on somebody. And so then like we get into the minutiae, which is really important and interesting to sort of see, especially if you're dealing with different types of diabetes and those types of things. But I think for anybody listening, what you just said is really true, which highlights how important eating real foods are. For sure. For sure. But so I still I'll let you go. I'll let you go back in. <laughs> we all have our opinion. We all yeah. what we do personally is obviously what we believe. If I believe the ketogenic diet was a smart thing, that's what I would do. But here's the problem. The problem is when you're following a ketogenic diet, whether it's animal-based or Mm plant-based, you are eating yourself into a state of glucose intolerance. You're choosing to live in that state. Could you get out of it pretty quickly if you're at an ideal weight and active? Sure. But at at any day that you continue to choose to eat that diet, you are glucose intolerant. You cannot have a banana and some blueberries without seeing a blood glucose spike or an insulin spike, okay? And what we're trying to teach people and, and give to the world as information mm-hmm. uh, and then support to help implement is the fact that all these amazing things that people are accomplishing on a keto diet, you can absolutely accomplish with the Mastering Diabetes Method, but not have 
the risk of living in a glucose intolerant state. So there is no long-term data on ketogenic diets. We cover that in this, it's not one way or the other. It just, the data doesn't exist. So all you can do is look at the foods that people are eating on those diets and okay, what epidemiological research do we have on people who consume large amounts of these specific foods, whether you're looking at red meat, or you're looking at white meat, whether you're looking at dairy products, and then you can you know, use that data to be like, okay, what, what might happen? But I, again, it's just, it's just a, everybody's just gotta get informed and, and make a choice. I personally would rather pick the brooch that gets all those amazing results. Like you lose all the weight, you get off your diabetes medications, you, um, you know, your PCOS symptoms go away. Right. Um, you know, you don't need to take diabetes medications anymore. Your A1C is non-diabetic. Like all that stuff can happen while getting to eat all the fruit you want, all the potatoes you want, all the rice you want. And we have a plethora of data on societies who have lived like that for the long term. So you can be confident in what you would expect for your long term health because there's groups of people that have done this, who've eaten this way. So that's just where we land basically in saying, I advise people to be glucose tolerant. I think that's important. I think it's also very important for brain health, um, for your, you know, preventing Alzheimer's. And uh, the Shares Eyes have put together a lot of excellent research on that. So that's where we land. Well, thank you. I think that's really enlightening. And I think you open up. I think the important thing, it's so interesting. Erica and I talk about this a lot because we get to interview so many interesting people and doctors and professionals. Um, and it's like really not necessarily being dogmatic, but really understanding what can work. Like for example, I, for, when I first washed forks over knives, it changed my life. I, I was dairy free for many years already. I had, I chose to give up meat for a long, a long period of time. Um, I actually have incorporated some back into my life, but still having a primarily whole food plant focused diet. Right. But I found that for me, my energy level was better after surgeries and things that I had to go through incorporating a little bit of meat back, but I'm not saying like that was revolutionary for me. Right. And so I think there's like so many ways, like there's people can really take this information and empower themselves to make better choices. And what you're saying makes a lot of sense as far as, um, like metabolic flexibility. Right. I mean, I, I love what you're saying because I just couldn't agree more in the sense of like, celebrating any form of like of wellness of like you know what i'm anybody who's like consciously choosing each ingredient that's going in their body like we are such we are such a minority right now like we need to work together to lift up everybody else because it's apathy that is truly crushing the country on our public health level which is something i studied and went back to yeah something i'm passionate about is how can we help large numbers of people and, and to understand that we are just a small little group. And, and really, it's not about perfection. It's not about black and white. You eat this, don't eat this. It's like, what are you doing overall? What are your goals? What are the results you're looking for? And, and you just move towards that and make some better decisions and, and we'll see a dramatic change. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. Thank you so much too. Like, like you said, there are so many people suffering with diabetes or prediabetes in this country. And you know, like the work you guys are doing is so important because it's not just 
like you said, it's not just diabetes. Talking about like my grandfather, we were talking to Joel Kahn about this, and I was saying, you know, one thing my grandma mentioned to me after my grandpa, who has type two diabetes, had um, open heart quad, um, quadruple bypass surgery a few years ago. She says, you know, they call, all call diabetes sugar. I'm yeah. from New Jersey originally, so we all say sugar. And she goes, oh, you know, all the people who went through the same surgery at the same time had the sugar. And I was like, huh. So everybody who's having open heart surgery is diabetic, right? And like you're saying, now they're calling Alzheimer's diabetes type three, right? And it's like, it's, it's an epidemic. And so I think it's really exciting. I'm excited to, I've been diving into the book. I'm excited to finish it. And, um, and yeah, it's cool. But what you're bringing up is key here. Type three diabetes is insulin resistance of the brain. And that's the point I'm trying to drive home here. Again, I don't want to come across as like a radical, like I'm right, I'm wrong. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just, you're, I'm just trying to make the point to the audience of why we are so passionate about this research and this information. And I just want people to digest it and understand it. Insulin sensitivity matters. Yeah. Glucose tolerance matters. And that's why we're having that conversation about type three diabetes. And so when we tie that in together and it's like, it's such a light bulb for a lot of people, no matter what you're struggling with. I don't care if it's weight loss, PCOS, like, all, like it doesn't matter. The focus on maximizing insulin sensitivity has broad, broad implications. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you again for sharing all of that. And so I'm curious too, we've talked so much around, right? Like we were talking about food and fruits and vegetables and whole food, um, plant-based diets, but can you talk to us about what you eat maybe in a day and what the eating protocol is in uh, mastering diabetes? Okay. So, um, the mastering diabetes method is, has four components. Number one, low fat plant-based self nutrition. Number two, intermittent fasting. Number three, daily movement. Number four, documentation. All four components are very important. Low fat plant-based self nutrition. So we teach people, we have green light, yellow light, and red light foods. Green light foods, you can eat ad libitum as much as you want. Yellow light foods, you want to be a little bit careful with just about the quantity. They're still good. Red light foods, avoid or limit as much as possible. So the way we teach it is that you can eat any combination of green light foods, basically any meal, any time of day. All right. So in the green light category, you have fruits, you have starchy vegetables, you have legumes, then you have intact whole grains as the calorie sources. Then you have non-starchy vegetables like tomatoes, eggplant, zucchini. Then lettuce, like, like leafy greens, lettuces, arugula, collard greens, herbs and spices and mushrooms, okay? So I'll, talk, I'll walk you through like a typical mastering diabetes thing and I'll go through mine quickly because I'm a little, I'm a little unique. <laughs> All right, so in, in our book, we have 30 brand new recipes and two 21-day meal plans. So people can just follow the meal plan and expect extraordinary results. Breakfast is usually a fruit bowl. Okay, you have like four servings of your favorite fruit, put in some vegetables, some leafy greens, and then add in some ground chia seeds or ground flax seeds. And when you do that, you literally meet your essential fatty acid requirements right then and there at breakfast. People are always worried on a low-fat diet, how do we get enough fatty acids? It's super easy. Just have ground chia seeds, ground flax seeds, like a tablespoon, and you're good. Everything else is a bonus throughout the rest of the day because all the foods you're going to eat have essential fatty acids. Every food, all whole foods. So 
that's breakfast. Then you move on to lunch. We want lunch to be somebody's most calorie dense meal because that's when you're most active. You're cognitively most active. Usually you're moving around like you're just hustling and bustling, right? That's going to usually include more starch. You know, that might be just a bowl. Like we're all about bowls. There's a lot of bowls at Master Diabetes. Um, that could have some potatoes, some butternut squash, some beans, some greens, some mushrooms, like just a bowl of greatness, a bowl of green light foods. And then dinner is going to be similar to lunch, but just higher on the veggies. So again, you're going you're gonna to include some, some starch, some rice, some farro, maybe some beans, maybe some fruit, maybe some potatoes. You know, include that because you got to have enough energy. But you're going to really go heavy on the greens, on the non-starchy vegetables, on the you know, herbs and spices to flavor it because you're just not that active in the evening in most, most people's lives. And this is going to help you see a lower fasting blood glucose value by not going too heavy on you know, calorie-dense foods. So that's like a typical Mastering Diabetes Day. Me personally, I, I just love fruit. So I just, I eat fruits, I eat greens, I eat non-starchy vegetables pretty much every single meal. It's super simple. I do four meals a day for breakfast. Like I'll have right now, breakfast is things like blueberries, papaya, mangoes, apples, white sapote, cherimoya, um, bananas, stuff like that. And then I have some arugula or some spinach, some greens in there. Lunch is pretty much the exact same thing as breakfast. And then in the afternoon, I have a, a pre-dinner snack. And that's going to be wild blueberries, mangoes, tomatoes, spinach, arugula, and some like scallions or something for a little, little kick. And then dinner, very similar. It's going to have lots of carrots. It's going to have cucumber, zucchini, um, kale, Swiss chard. It's all, we, we, live, we live in Santa Monica. Like the, the, I can get seven different varieties of lettuce. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, at the farmer's market. So Lots of varieties, and I'll usually include something like mangoes, apples, pears, peaches, stuff like that. Um, right now, dinner's a lot, a lot of mangoes right now. Mangoes are good. That's awesome. And I think, you know, it's so fascinating, right, like everything you're talking about, because I think, again, you're, you're living this really healthy life that's so fruit-centric, and I think so many people have taken fruit out of their diets, and here you are living with it. And I'd also love to know, so obviously, I, we know each other through uh, workout fitness studio in Santa Monica. So how does this work to you with exercise, right? Because people are always so like worried about protein and like, oh, I have to get enough protein or after I exercise, make sure I refuel in protein. Can you maybe touch on that as well for our listeners and how they can implement maybe more of a plant-based or plant-focused diet and still exercise hard? Absolutely. So, um, <laughs> The protein conversation is just, it's mind-bogglingly blown out of proportion. And I just, you know, for, for somebody, if they're like really, really thinking, okay, I, I want to do a plant-based diet, I want to eat these more whole foods, but I'm worried about my protein. I, I, the, I just think it's really, really worth it to become objective about this. So really objective. Take the time to enter your food into nutrition software for just a few days. I know it can be a pain in the butt. I know it could be triggering for some people if they're struggling with an eating disorder or something like that, I get it. So in that case, don't. Um, but if you feel comfortable, that data is priceless. And it doesn't have to be for an extended period of time, just a couple of days. And you will learn that if you eat enough calories from the green light foods, 
you exceed your protein requirements. The software will show you that. And what you need, even when you're very active, even when you're active, and if for any reason, you're like, hey, you know what? My trainer says I need X grams of protein. Okay, fair enough. Eat some more beans. I mean, tweak the number. Tweaking the number is not difficult. So I just really want people to know that it's, it's really a non-issue. I understand it's been blown up as an issue, but you take the time to become objective and really know the facts, and then you can take it from there and you'll, you will have no issues. Thank you. That's, um, I think, a good, good advice. Um, okay, so as we wrap up, we have a couple questions we always ask all of our guests. Um, the one is, Erica also hit on this a little bit with what you eat in a day, but what do you do for your self-care in a day? How do you take care of yourself, and do you have any non-negotiables? So I just started meditating. A very good friend of mine gave me a gift for my birthday, and it was a year subscription to an app called Waking Up. And it's a meditation app. It's taken me about 10 minutes each morning. And this has become, I just love the word self-care. This is so much fun. It's a new like, buzzword. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> all right. So I, and what I did is I created a new morning routine. And I am now 24 days into this morning routine. So today, even on a challenging day, sometimes when I go get up very early in the morning and go to buy wholesale produce or today, my interview series started at 5.45 a.m. I had to get up and drive here and all this stuff. I still do my meditation. So my new routine is, and I did not do this. Prior to 24 days ago, I did not do this. Because um, I'm addicted to my phone. Like, I'm always on my phone. I'm always doing things. Like, it's just my passion. It's my life. My work is there. Like, I just do it. So I would wake up in the morning, and I would just see my notifications and start dealing with things. But now, I put the phone on airplane mode. I wake up in the morning. You know, I brush my teeth, I run the blinds, I do some things. Phone is still on airplane mode. I do the meditation and it's like a 10 minute like guided thing. It's great. And I like the fact that it's not overwhelming. That's one of the things I like. It's one of the things I love about our coaching program. Um, and then I journal for a few minutes, set some intentions, some focus. Okay, what do I really want to get done today? What's important? Don't get distracted. And then I turn my phone off of airplane mode and I keep it on silent and I put it away. I don't want to see all the notifications coming out. I'll just come and look at it in a minute. And this consistent meditation has, I really, I'm feeling benefit already. And I think it's only going to get better. Oh, that's so cool. You have a great morning routine. <laughs> I love it. Ali and I, we chant. We actually met through Buddhism. And so we like, that's like our form of morning meditation, but I try to do it too before um, looking at my phone because oh. It makes such a big difference. Um, thank you for sharing that. The last question that we ask all of our guests um, is, other than your own, because you are now um, a New York Times bestselling author, um, do you have a book that has been particularly inspirational to you um, throughout your journey that you would recommend to our audience? <laughs> I love this question so much, and the book comes to mind instantly. It's called Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. That book. Change. Have you guys read that book? No. Oh, it's a game changer. Okay. That, that it's, it's, yes, it's a book, but really it's a consciousness. It's a way to look at life and interact with other people. Nothing has had a more positive impact on my life than that body of knowledge, even more than nutrition. Um, it is really something else. So it's, it's powerful. 
Well, thank you. And um, if anyone is interested in buying your book or finding and following your work online, where can they find you? So you can find at uh, Mastering Diabetes. We're at Mastering Diabetes on Instagram. Uh, we're just at Mastering Diabetes on YouTube. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, but we're not that active on Twitter. It's like Mastering D-I-A-B because we couldn't get the, all the words there. <laughs> um, we're, we do have an account on TikTok. And we're going to try and start making some content there, which should be fun. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But you can also find us on our website, masteringdiabetes.org. We have lots of websites there, or lots of testimonials there. Um, we have a lot of blogs about you know, scientific topics, really, really detailed stuff. So we're really proud of our website. And we also have a podcast called the Mastering Diabetes Audio Experience. We come out with an episode every Tuesday. Um, so that's fun. And you can get the book wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. We read our own audiobook. Cyrus and I read it. We added some extra information in the beginning of each chapter, like a little behind the scenes, what we were thinking, the writing process. That was really fun. We also added a couple updated snippets of information throughout the book. So that's on Audible, it's on Google Play, wherever you listen to audiobooks. And of course, the ebook versions are available on Kindle and Nook and wherever you read ebooks. Awesome. Thank you so much, Robbie. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie and I'm Erica and we're Courageous Wellness.